Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. This is Manelli. Remember her? Remember Manelli? Of course you do. <laughs> Manelli was on, uh, I don't know, like episode six or seven or something. She was, yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. And we're not turning off the fan. This is supposed to be just for patrons anyway, but we'll probably put it on the main feed. Um, so yeah, if there's any weird noise in the background, just don't worry I'm about sorry. it. sorry, it's like yeah. 90 something degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Normally we turn off the fan and we sit here and melt. Yeah, but we have a guest, so we're not gonna put her through that. Yeah, it will be a little bit rude, you know? Yay. Oh. <laughs> Even though this is an extra episode, I think uh, you should read a card of the day. Okay. I was just thinking about today's card of the day. All right. Today's card of the day is one I don't usually get. It's the King of Swords upright. Today's message. If you have a difficult problem to solve or a serious decision to make, today is a good day to do that. Your mind is calm and clear and you'll be able to separate your feelings from the facts easily. Right on. So there you go. How nice. Yeah. I don't even think we have any news because we actually only recorded like the other day. So there's nothing crazy going on what i did like actually was last week i did a like on our stories on instagram i had people like send us really short ghost stories that like probably didn't necessitate an entire email mm. so it was just like the other day i was in my house and this weird fucking thing happened mm. i'll pop them up here but yeah so if you have like short little ones like that send them to me and i'll share them on our uh story little nuggets yeah because ghost stories ghost story so real quick before we get into the episode, just wanted to plug uh, Manelli's store, her services that she does online. You can find her in markets, but I'll go ahead and let her take the lead on her business. It's her business. <laughs> um, okay, so you can find my page on IG, Pink Moon Mexicana, and then uh, TikTok is the same, Pink Moon Mexicana, and I think that's all we have for now. What do you offer on your website? Oh, right. Um, so we offer we offer cute uh, witchy accessories. We offer crystals. We offer some altar tools. And we offer tarot readings. Mm. And um, do you have any markets coming up? Not yet, but I'll keep you updated. Cool. I think we have some stuff coming in October. Yeah. Okay, cool. Like, if you want to be updated and you live around the Houston area... Sugarland or any of those kinds of areas, um, just follow her page. She posts whenever she is participating in markets, with like the times and stuff like that. Yeah, and if we can make it, we'll all like we'll all go hang out. And if you guys want to come, check out the stall, check out what goods Manelli has to offer. Mm -hmm. We'll try and hang around and yeah, it could be like a get, big meetup yeah. and stuff. And I also do um, online readings, so if you want to book online. Because you can't make it in person. Hell yeah. There you go. Because you're branching out, right, as well. Like, I know you're not, like, just doing tar tarot for, like, you're in your personal. Uh, so, like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm doing, well, like, oh, like, divination? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm studying uh, Loteria cards and Barajas. So that's a whole other, like, system than the tarot deck. Um, but, yeah, well, that's what I'm branching out into. <laughs> More card systems. Um, but. Sick. Yeah, we. I love cards. I love uh, card readings. So, cool. Uh, so, can they book Baraja readings or Loteria uh, card readings? Not yet. Loteria card readings. Yeah, but not. 
Okay. That's cool. cool. We appreciate that though as well, like because yeah. it's like it's not like certain other events that we've been to and the people have like their book beside them and they'll what was it? It was like uh, ancestry readings or something they were doing or past life readings that this person was doing, mm. but they didn't actually know anything. They were literally oh. reading the book and oh, telling, you know what I mean? Thing. Like, yeah. yeah, so it's much nicer so when people actually know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, that's cool. And if you stick around and if you're a patron member, you'll see more of Manelli's stuff in the next video, which will be coming very soon. All right. I'm not sure when. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today? How did this uh, colony of Australian wallabies end up taking over an island off the coast of Ireland? With the assistance of aliens. We're going to find out. I was going to say through migration. I mean, kind of. So we're all going to learn a little bit about Ireland today. Minelli probably doesn't know that much about the locale because this is a weird little yeah. place in Ireland. It's not very well known. Spot. But Ireland's coast is dotted with little islands that are like mostly uninhabited as far as I know. On the east coast and on the west coast there's some inhabited islands that are like big tourist destinations and stuff. Uh, did you ever see like those traditional Irish sweaters? They're called Aran knit wool. So, Maybe I have. Yeah so anyway they're like a very traditional thing but they're specifically made with wool from these islands on the west coast today we're talking about the east coast right so if you look at my personal instagram you'll see a couple of my poor attempts to capture docky island which is just a few minutes from my parents house it's where we had the little um like family photo shoot in january i think and i also got a good picture of well what i thought was a good picture of ireland's eye which is in host um it's literally like from the pier you could if i could swim i could swim over there they make for lovely scenery and some are used as pastures for goats and sheep which feeds the sheep and keeps the the islands looking well but it was on one of our trips back home when we were just hanging out with my cousin and his now wife that we learned about this peculiar 630 acre island it's about a square mile just a little bit further north of Hoat, which is a gorgeous posh little um fishing village in dublin we'd love to live there one day yeah well you should subscribe to our patreon <laughs> and let us live there yeah. <laughs> uh, so this island is called lambe island and the one thing that i didn't find out was how it got its name mm. i'm just realizing that now i might figure this out later but archaeologists have found graves on this island dating back to 500 bc and it was like they found like tools and everything made from the stone on the island. It was really cool. And in the early 1500s, a fort was built on the island because it was at the time of William the Conqueror. I think that might be wrong. Um, but it was such an easy spot for invaders to like and pirates to just hide out because it was four miles from the coast of Dublin. So they could hide out there for the night and then in the morning go and like run an attack, grab whatever they could grab and then fuck off back to the island. So anyway, whoever was looking after Dublin or Ireland at the time was like, build a fucking fort on there. So with the fort also came a harbour and a small village. Uh, in the 1600s, the island became a prisoner of war camp. And the 1600s would have been like Oliver Cromwell's time, which this is like really boring history stuff. But 
in our Irish folklore episode, Cromwell was the guy who brought the army over to Dunleary, which is my like hometown. And that's when all the lads like ran through these secret tunnels up into like fucking orchards and safe houses and stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, somebody at that time made it a POW camp. And from the 1800s on, the leasehold passed through several different families until 1903, when it was purchased by Cecil Baring for 500 or sorry, 5,250 Great British pounds. That's a lot of money. It would have been, yeah. For, back for, in the day. Back then, yeah. yeah. Now, I think we mentioned, I'm sure Dulce told you, Manelli, but we were watching Downton Abbey. And without getting too into it, there's actually like a huge internal conflict for me when I'm watching these, like, stuff like that, because you're looking at these posh old English men and women, and you're like, what the fuck are they doing in these big grey houses? But at the same time, when it's like watered down and presented to you in such a digestible way, you can't help but see like the art and romance behind the traditions and they, their way of living. Like you get really caught up in it. Um, and then you go and listen to a rebel song or watch the wind that shakes the barley and that internal strife just like kicks you in the tonsils again. Makes you angry at the birds. Yeah, like, <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, maybe that was a bit traumatic, like on my part about like, you know, the British families and stuff like that. Because you're Irish. But yeah, I am. And like, I can't Probably. help that, like the older I get as well. But, Anyway, but no, at the same time, you like you do get caught up in the drama and the lifestyles of these like great families and their great houses, right? And like we don't have to look far to see the remnants of this. Like the end of Granville Road, where Kilbogget Park ends, where Dulce went jogging when we were home. Like there's a little farm there, yeah. And the farm looks kind of out of place because it's in the neighborhood, but the house that the farm belongs to was one of these great English houses. Mm. So all of that land at one point would have been owned by some random land, uh, lord or lady. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about one of these great families. And it's full of gossip. <laughs> it was great. Like, I really got stuck into this. Like, So Cecil Baring, the fellow who bought the island, he was born on April 12th, 1864. He was an English banker and aristocrat. This is like 50% Wikipedia, 50% Lambayisland.ie family history. The Bering family were known as a banking family. And again, just using Wikipedia, I traced Cecil's heritage back to Johann Bering, who was born in Bremen in Germany in 1697. And he was the first one to move to the UK in 1717. And he was a wool merchant's apprentice but he proved himself a savvy businessman and married a successful grocer's daughter. I'm not sure like what tier Johan's family were at the time, mm -hmm. but this successful grocer gave him 20,000 pounds in 1717 as a dowry to marry his daughter. Oh. So I think even though he was just a wool merchant's apprentice, he was still like from a really fucking well-to-do family, you know? Mm -hmm. With his new wife and their successful business ventures, they did like really well for themselves. So by the time of John's death, who he died at just 51, but back then I think that was like fucking old man, you know? Um, the Bearings were one of the wealthiest families in the West Country, whatever that means. Leaving behind one of those big damp English country houses and like four kids. So two of his sons would go on to start the company that would eventually become Bering Brothers and Company, which was the bank. Mm -hmm. So 200 years later, 
Cecil comes along. And another fun fact about his heritage or his, his lineage, his great grandfather on his mother's side was the first Earl of Grey. Okay. So his grandfather is the dude that Earl Grey, Earl Grey tea is actually named after. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he comes from like fine stock. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cecil went on to study at Oxford and I don't know what he actually studied. He was like graduated as a classicist. So I think that means he studied like ancient. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. But I think he actually studied like Greek and Roman philosophy and shit like that. Oh, but sick. probably just like a bunch of random old rich English people. Yeah, things like that's more like yeah. a hobby thing. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. Like one of those people. Like I spent seven months in Kenya writing like ingredients for banana loaf <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Um stuff yeah but anyway it was said that he had a huge interest in natural history mm -hmm. he went into the family business which had been going through hardships in the 1890s apparently and he ended up working in new york as an investment banker um it wasn't actually called the bearing brothers company but it was a branch of the bearing brothers company and run by his uncle or his uncle was a partner in the firm here he met a fella called Tommy Taylor, who was a, quote, wealthy New York socialite. So I think he was just a kid with rich parents, right? But Tommy was married to the beautiful young daughter of American tobacco millionaire, Pierre Lauriard, who was the owner of the Lauriard Tobacco Company, which at one time was the oldest tobacco company in the States. Mm. So pretty sure that meant he was just a big slave owner. Anyway, his daughter, Maud, actually ran off to marry Tommy Taylor while she was still like 16 or something. It just said she was under 18. Oh. So scandal. Anyway, she ran off and then Tommy and Cecil were becoming close friends while the two worked together in New York. They even opened a quote, real tennis court at t like the Tuxedo Club, which is some fancy fucking club in New York. Now, real tennis this is really interesting stuff. <laughs> Real tennis is the original form of tennis. It was played with a solid ball on an enclosed court, divided into equal but dissimilar halves. Okay, the service side, from which service is always delivered, and the hazard side, on which service is received. So, I actually heard, I, I did know about this a little bit because I heard another podcast talking about the history of a fucking tennis ball. Uh, Blind Boy. Ah, love yeah. Blind Boy. He went into the inside of a tennis ball. Shout out Blind Boy. Yeah, love it. But yeah, so I knew this sounded familiar. So real tennis was seen as like the gentleman's sport. Mm. Whereas regular tennis was just for the common fucking buffoon, you know? What's the difference between regular I just explained it to you. <laughs> no, but like, but it sounds like regular tennis. Yeah, no, the... Uh, it's a solid ball and it's played in an enclosed court. Oh, one's closed, like one's in like in a room it's, and the other one's not. Yeah, it's not even a room. It's just like concrete walls. So oh. It's oh, fucking weird. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. kind of similar to handball, I think, actually. Yeah. Handball. Yeah, which is an Irish sport. Sounds like something you Especially should do in private. <laughs> I do. She <laughs> <laughs> thinks I'm funny. <laughs> she makes, like, a noise when she tells <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but with these two working on these close projects together, Cecil and Maud also became somewhat close. To the point where she actually came up with a nickname for him, which was Caesar, because he was bald and had a long nose. Oh, it's that Yeah, bitch. which sounds like, you know, that's quite mean. That's a point down. Yeah, but I think he took it as, well, it's because I'm really into classicist studies. Ah. You know, that's why she called yeah, him Caesar. Okay. And I love okay. music, I guess. And pizza. Yeah. But then it turned out that Tommy was actually doing the dirty on mod. <gasps> yeah. And he was found out. I'm sure he was getting up to all sorts of hijinks as a wealthy New York socialite. Yeah. But he was caught in the act. Ooh. And yeah, so the two of them split up, Tommy and Maud. And when Cecil left New York in 1901, Maud then realized that she was actually in love with him the whole time. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Scandal. I know, right? This young one. So <laughs> she secured a divorce from Tommy, which was like, he was a big well-to-do person so this was quite a feat for her to even get the divorce papers right and by november 1902 she was married to cecil oh yeah <laughs> but what's funny is that on cecil's wikipedia page it says that he retired from business in 1901 to pursue like personal interests being like natural Mod. history and stuff oh. well it actually was mod because on lambay island.ie i found out that he was actually encouraged to step down from his responsibilities because of all the drama caused by marrying not only a divorcee oh but an american oh these yeah. old like we know because of yeah. Downton Abbey yeah, yeah yeah the old Brits hated the Americans yeah like they were disgusted by them yeah so the fact that this is some young floozy yeah. coming in now from and American and American the shame of it all damn so yeah, I was like pretty engrossed in this as I was going. But it was all this carry on that led him to look for some peace, quiet and isolation. And in 1903, he stumbled upon an advertisement in the Field newspaper that stated, quote, island for sale in the Irish Sea. So how much more isolated can you get? Yeah. He sealed the deal in 1904 and got to work straight away getting the castle built back up to livable condition. But they also added on to the castle as well they worked with this architect who was really famous for like the work that he did across india and stuff like that um but essentially they did live in the fort that was built in the 1500s and it's not so much a castle now as like one of these big manor houses but they still have like the shape of a castle mm -hmm. like turrets and stuff kind of like Kalini castle actually it looks mm -hmm. a lot like that oh yeah and then there was also the small village type area that was inhabited by the Coast Guard, which actually a lot of my family would have been in at that time, just on the south side of Dublin. Um, but they helped convert those into like villagers, houses, or what's the word? Like for the domestic help that they would have brought in because these big English families were like firms in themselves. You know what I mean? Like they didn't just bring them and their kids. It was the housemaid, the kitchen maid, the scullery maid, you yeah. know what I mean? And all of these other people. So they converted all of these houses. They never brought electricity to the island uh, or phones or anything like that. But they made it like super lavish, you know, uh, even without the mod cons. Or plumbing. Or plumbing. Like how lavish oh. can you be without, without your plumbing? Like you're shitting in a hole. 
Well, no, actually, they did have it plumbed. It just wasn't going back to like a main sewage. It's probably just being pumped straight out into the sea. But that was one of the things that the architect brought in was like a type of modern plumbing. Oh, okay. For 1904, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Slightly nicer hole. Slightly nicer hole, yeah. Kind of warmer, you know. It was in Lambay Island that Cecil and Maud discovered their own little paradise. Mm -hmm. Cecil got to work almost immediately getting a group together of like scientists and just other faffy, well-to-do Englishmen. Um, but they got together to ex to examine the flora and fauna of the island. So very boring stuff. Like literally they would have just been sitting there drawing pictures and saying, ah, yes, this is the green variety of, you know, this gorse or heather or whatever. Uh, all for science with actual science scientists coming to live on the island to make their observations. And then they also started running a working farm. So they became completely self-sufficient. They were making their own cheese and dairy products or whatever. And it was around this time that Cecil started to introduce new species to the island. I think because it's such a perfectly isolated testing ground, they were like, fuck it, like, let's just see what we can bring in and see if what it survives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he brought different types of sheep, mouflon sheep, chamois goats, kinkajous or honey bears, and rayas, which are a type of ostrich, right? Cool. And then there's rumors that he also tried to bring like lizards and tortoises and stuff like that in as well. But we they don't can know how. survive in that kind of. Yeah, thing. I don't know how they true can't it is. Like their own internal temperature. Yeah. So none of these things managed to survive anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, one of those meats. I know. Yeah, and the little kinkajou honey bear things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what they are? Yeah, I I remember seeing like learning about them a little bit a long time ago on Dora the Explorer. Really? Okay. Yeah. So they're really oh, cute. They're... Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Remember? <laughs> I didn't know what they were, so I thought like they're really fucking cool, man. Um, and then funnily enough, I remember my mom and dad used to bring me to an ostrich farm like just a few minutes from the house where we used to live. That's so random. Yeah, because like ostriches are not like uh, domestic animals in Ireland there these ones are from South America mm -hmm. but I quickly looked this up today to see because it feels like a fucking fever dream like you know what I mean I just have these vague memories of feeding fucking ostriches in a field in Wicklow like so bizarre you don't know if it's real or a dream yeah <laughs> but it turns out okay there was actually a load of farmers pricked into buying ostrich eggs in the 90s Right? It was like a pyramid fucking scheme. Really? Yeah. Because these, whoever acquired all of these ostrich eggs, would just show up at the pub and be like, listen, lads, this is the plan. We're going to be fucking kings. We're going to sell all these ostriches, right? You're going to use their legs for ashtrays. Think of all the fancy hats that we can use. And the meat is pure protein. There's no fat. So we'll target all the diet groups and stuff like that, right? It's going to be deadly. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted any of it, right? So all of these people ended up with fields full of fucking ostriches mm. and nobody wanted to do anything other than maybe bring their kids there on a Sunday and like throw oh fucking God, corn at them. Yeah. I heard you can make like huge fucking omelets out of ostrich eggs. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't mean to shit on your parade, but I heard that the places that offer ostrich omelets, it's just like 15 regular eggs. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. Apparently the ostrich eggs aren't very nice. So anyway, that was another little thing that I learned today. Uh, yeah, these farmers were getting scammed. Oh, and also they couldn't claim their tax back. 
on the ostriches because they weren't re regular like livestock. Yeah. So anyway, Cecil and Maud had three kids, Daphne, Calypso and Rupert, who was the youngest, I think. They all lived happily on Lambay Island together for just 12 years before Maud sadly passed away from cancer. Uh, and then Cecil died in 1934 and Rupert took over the island as the fourth Baron Revelstoke. Okay. Don't know really what that means, but Revelstoke is the place in Canada where our friend Brendan from the Ghost Story Guys is actually from. Oh. So I thought that was an interesting little link. I've never heard of that place before now. Rupert married a lady named Flora and had two sons, oh. yeah, John and James. And then after a few years, according to the family history section on the Lambay website, he handed Flora over to his good friend Derek. What the fuck? He was like, uh, you know, here, you take it. <laughs> yeah. So Take my hand-me-down. Yeah, well, Derek and Flora actually would go on to have two daughters of their own. Mm-hmm. And they would visit the island for Christmas as like one big happy family. The two lads and mm -hmm. the two daughters would hang out as brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. But like Derek had been not so secretly but madly in love with her uh. this whole time. And Rupert could only fully love one thing, Lambay Island. Interesting. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me actually of the Corpsewood story a little bit mm. where like Charles, the guy from this other story, kind of just like left his kids once they were adults and was like, oh, yeah. okay, like I'm going off to do my own thing. I love science. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of appreciate, like, you know what I mean? There's a, I don't know, I, I talk about There's it down here. There's some respect there, yeah. Yeah. I get that. That's yeah. Cool. He didn't want, he thought like, fuck it, like why make two people unhappy when I can make two people extremely happy and I'll be warden of the island or whatever. Yeah. But it was Rupert who first brought wallabies to the island, as far as I could tell. Mm. Or it might have been his dad, Cecil, but he brought them in so Rupert could have pets. And it was just two little wallabies. And they're gorgeous, like, when, oh, they're, yeah. when they're babies. They're like baby kangaroos. Yeah, because even, like, the big. biggest they get is, like, this big, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're just, like, cats. They just hang out and shit. Yeah. Yeah, so I read he only had two, but they multiplied, like, themselves over the next few years. So Rupert devoted his life to everything Lambay studying the history, documenting everything from flowers and animals to the birds' eggs. Like, he would go around collecting the shells from eggs and, like, drawing them out and saying, oh, well, this one clearly belongs to, you know, this type of fucking eagle or whatever. And then in the 1980s, a chap called Peter Wilson reached out to Rupert. Peter was the director of Dublin Zoo, and he had a little problem. The wallabies at Dublin Zoo had gotten along a little bit better than he expected and now he found himself with an abundance of wallabies and nowhere to send them. So, like, he couldn't just release them because they could soon become detrimental as an invasive species, mm -hmm. but no other zoo could take them at that time and he, the only other option was put them down. Oh. Which obviously, he didn't want to do. Yeah. He had heard about Rupert's own little collection and asked if he could just, like, add some more. He was like, oh, the diversity will really help your own herd like as well and so with that he shipped off just seven little wallabies and as soon as they were released on the island they ran and hid in the greenery but obviously they soon made friends with the island's not so native few and then they became more than friends and so today there's approximately 50 or 60 private little wallabies living their best lives out there off the coast of Dublin Sick. yeah they have like they've no natural predators on the island <laughs> and they have adapted to the colder conditions. 
by growing thicker coats than their Australian cousins. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, and it happened like, it must have been within a generation or two, you know? Occasionally they'll help themselves to some hay left out for the cattle in the colder months when they can't forage for themselves. But other than that, like the staff on Lambay Island, like do not interfere with them. They don't help them at all. Like if they're sick or anything, like they're just living natural lives, right? Mm. But yeah, they will steal hay if they have to. And the staff are fine with that. <laughs> That's cool because they have hands. Yeah, and like they're yet to become a problem. The, the staff do cull the herd every year or so. What's that mean? Like they'll go out and kill a bunch of them if oh. they're getting out of hand. Yeah. Same as they have to do with the deer. Like that's why hunting is still legal here, right? Like because if you get too many animals, because like wolves and cougars and shit are less common nowadays, the deer can multiply freely. But what happens is too many deer end up damaging the entire ecosystem and it leads to riverbeds drying up it leads to fish not being able to get up these riverbeds not being able to mate and it's like mm. devastation to, mm. towards the whole ecology of a local place and um, there's a fantastic fucking study on this in from yellowstone where they reintroduced wolves to restore the natural order of shit mm. and it's like gorgeous it's because they come in and they start like just naturally hunting again and the deer just go straight back to like oh fuck like we can't just do whatever we want anymore <laughs> and then like within a few years there was like an abundance of salmon again in the rivers because now the deer weren't trampling on the grass and so it was yeah anyway sorry so the staff just leave the guys up to do whatever they're doing they haven't affected the cattle that roam there or anything so they just leave them if you want some of the wallaby meat you have to be on a very select list. Yeah, I don't know how to get onto that. They have so many wallabies. Why? It's not exactly like I say. They're killing like maybe three or four. Um, you know, mm -hmm. um, every couple of years. Yeah. So Rupert, anyway, died in nineteen ninety four, but he left the family with lovely memories. One of his sons had no kids. He actually did live in Kenya for his life. Who fucking knows why and then the other one didn't seem to want to look after the island or something or just wasn't in a position to take over the island so uh rupert left everything to what was known as the revelstoke trust which included his four grandkids so rupert's grandkids now look after the island today and i'm going to quote what they said about rupert from their website because he seemed like this really interesting character like bye-bye wife, I'm just going to live here on the island yeah, and draw yeah. pictures of eggshells, right? And this is what um, his granddaughter Millie says. A visit to Grandpa's study most, memorab most memorably involved being directed after a suitably tantalising delay to the cupboard by the door, wherein could be found stacks and stacks of Cadbury's milk chocolate next to the whiskey and Coca-Cola stash. <laughs> we would sit and enjoy our chocolate and Coca-Cola with due reverence and discuss important matters with Grandpa for a half an hour before scampering off to make Irish soda bread in the kitchen with Eileen, his wonderful housekeeper. So he just seemed like a very nice, yeah. peaceful fucking dude. Like The island almost had to be sold in 2011 after the 2008 recession. Mm -hmm. Like It just wasn't being managed properly, much like Downton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the Revelstoke Trust which is, like I said, Rupert's four grandkids and a whole bunch of other like distant relatives and people from like the barony a hundred years ago and, and even more. Um, they all came up with a plan to save and secure the island for future generations. And interestingly enough, it's still today completely off grid. They have 
like nothing physically connects the island to Ireland. I don't even know if it's under Irish law, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, they have a wind turbine and solar panel powered electricity grid that keeps the house and the local, uh, like the tenants housing, like is in a reasonable, a reasonably powered condition. I mm-hmm. don't know how to say that any other way. They offer all varieties of weekend retreats now. Mm-hmm. I think that's a main source of their income. So anything from team building to yoga and nutrition, wow. they do macrame retreats. Wow. I think that's like sewing or something. Yeah, it's so. yeah, it's like yoga and macrame. It's very like hippie kind of wow. like peaceful, that's chill amazing. the fuck out stuff. I yeah. would want to do that. Yeah, I don't know that we could afford to do that. Oh. <laughs> the website so we could did... join our Patreon. Yeah, the website didn't have any. <laughs> Get me out there. Yeah. <laughs> the website didn't have any pricing on it. Like, oh, so that's how you know it's expensive. Yeah. yeah. And then they're also responsibly running a farm based on regenerative, regenerative practices that will ensure that the island can keep providing in the future. And obviously everything is organic and like they eat whatever they grow. The wallabies get eaten. The deer gets eaten. Um, and the farmed meat as well. Uh, as well as the island venison, not the wallabies, is sold throughout Dublin and served in Michelin star restaurants. Really? Yeah, it's like this is Lambe Island meat because it's the cleanest fucking meat that yeah. you can get. It's the the grass that the cows are eating is sea salt grass. Like yeah, you know, yeah. How much do you think a steak of sea salt? Yeah, yeah. Girl, like how much do you think a piece of venison is? I don't know. I'm sure it's not like instead. Like I've eaten at some of these Michelin star restaurants in Dublin. You know really? what I mean? It's not like all that yeah but it's also offered in uh air lingus's first class flights really yeah certain of the lambe oh. like lamb or beef and so as well as being known for the wallabies which is like the most eccentric part of the island it's also home to puffins uh, other nice. rare seabirds and is home to the largest breeding colony of north atlantic gray seals on the east coast of ireland wow. which is a really specific title but they seem yeah. quite proud of it they um, got big seals. Yeah, cool. pretty much. And it also, <laughs> but I think as well as this, it also makes it like a protected spot. Yeah. You know, so like they're they're noted, they're noticed by like these science journals and stuff for mm. the work that they do, and yeah. So that's why Ireland has its own very little island of Australian red-necked wallabies. So that's thanks, amazing. Marcus. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We should do this every week, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Thank you. That's it. Awesome. It was like nothing spooky, nothing murdery. It was just an interesting little story. Yeah. Yeah, like if you walk down the and and the the way that I saw it for the first time was we were in Hove. And we decided to take a walk down a pier that they had and you can see it off the pier and then i was just like what's up with this random ass island and then marcus was adam's cousin was like yeah like it's some some guy owns it has a bunch of wallabies on it i'm like what the fuck yeah (laughs) since then we're just like what the fuck is up with this island that's really cool yeah like that it's just full of like hippies now but the family seems to be like really nice and even down to like rather than mass producing like the beef and stuff they actually sold a lot of their cattle so they could ensure that they could keep producing good cattle Mm. which is uh, 
Apparently something Quality that I know about quantity. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta respect that. Yeah. Alright. Well, thank well, you. Yeah, don't forget to check out Manelli's store online on Instagram. I'll link it here or something and it'll be in the show notes. And if you're around Houston, like, let us know and we'll try and all meet up at a market and then... That would be really nice. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Buy some cool shit. Yeah. Don't follow us home. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, join the Patreon, leave rates, reviews, all that kind of good crap. And uh, yeah, we'll see you later. Alright, bye. bye. <laughs>